Welcome to the Better Clinician Podcast with myself, Ben Cormack, and also Adam Meekins. The Better Clinician Project brings you high-quality education at a ridiculously low price. This podcast will bring you topics that are relevant to modern clinical practice, all done with a bit of fun and humour. Nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. So we are back again with another one of our Thoughtful Thursdays where we give um, the BCP members the chance to just ask us anything. Well, almost anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anything. I'm not going to. I'm not going to divulge my deepest, darkest secrets on here. That's for sure. And if I did, fucking hell, I don't. Yes. I certainly wouldn't just be charging a small fee that we're doing on the BCP for it. I'd have to be charging a hell of a lot more money for divulging my dark secrets. Well, I think you might have to be paying people, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have to go to a very expensive therapist to do that, yeah. Yeah, exactly, the one that won't report you for your evil dark <laughs> secrets. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Um, we are just sticking to our, you know, usual MSK world, but we are not being so topic-related, per se. So we are, um, you know... Uh, gonna... We're at the whim of our BCP members to ask us some questions. Yes, yeah, so we're the capricious nature of our BCP members. <laughs> yeah. So we asked we asked a bit late, and we haven't got too many questions this month. So we only got two to get through. So we should be a bit short, short, short and sharp. Do you ever do that? Do you ever merge two words together and make up a new one? Uh Short. Not as much as you do. Yeah, short, <laughs> short is short and sharp, apparently. But I can imagine that our English language would be much sharper <laughs> if uh, if if we did so. We'd be much more efficient, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into it then. So let's talk, or let's see what the first question is from the BCPers. Uh, let's go to Bob Hessel. Good old Bob, a regular BCP contributor. And he has asked us quite a... Controversial question, one that we're probably going to have to tiptoe around a little bit for legal uh, reasons and risk of litigation, I should imagine. So... Oh, no, freedom of speech is strong, Adam. Freedom of speech is strong. Yeah, I think I still would rather keep out of courts and uh, sues and lawyers and all that sort of stuff going on. Anyway, so Bob has asked us, what is the most disappointing course you have done and why? Boom. There you go. Mic drop. So, Ben. What is the most disappointing course you've done? Or do you want me to go first? Yeah, I'm yeah, because I yes, I would like you to go first. Let's see what what you have to say. Right. So here we go. The most disappointing course I've ever done was my physiotherapy bachelor of science course. Oh wow, really? Yeah, I found that really disappointing. So it wasn't a post-grad course. It was my actual pre-grad course. It was my training to become a physiotherapist. I found that you're hugely under, disappointing. You're undergraduate. Undergraduate. Pre, what's a pre-graduate then? Well, it's before, like an undergraduate. Well, I suppose undergraduate is sort of pre-graduate, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> but the usual term would be undergrad. Yes. All right. Okay. Just to, just to make sure we're not all confusing people. <laughs> So, yeah, I found my physiotherapy course uh, very disappointing. Now, for a number of reasons, I think maybe I went in slightly naively. I think I had some 
different expectations of what to expect. You know, I don't think I was well versed on all the diversity that physiotherapy covers. So when I was uh, looking into respiratory functions and then going on placements where I was having to suck sputum out of ITU patients, uh, I found it hugely challenging. I found it very difficult and something that I thought wasn't really suitable or necessary for me to be a musculoskeletal therapist. But that was just my naivety about, say, the diversity of physio. Do you think most people go into their undergraduate like that? Do you, would you say the majority of people go to physio to go into MSK? Um from my bias point of view, and I do have a bias point of view because I only tend to mix in those circles in the MSK, then yeah, I'd probably say most do. But I think I think there's a little bit different nowadays because I think there are now schemes where people are asked to make sure they've had some work experience or they've shadowed somebody in physiotherapy before they apply for it at university. So I think that might get around that naivety a little bit, give uh, somebody a, a bit of an experience of all the various different roles physios can cover. But no, I'd probably still say a lot of people still associate physiotherapy as running onto a football pitch with a cold bucket and a sponge, you know, the musculoskeletal sports injury side of it as well. So I don't think the other side of the physio, you know, the respiratory, the neurology, the care of the elderly, uh, all the other avenues of which I've forgotten, paediatrics, et cetera, uh, as well recognised or, or known, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean that—that's why I followed the path that I followed because it what the like the, all the other stuff just didn't appeal to me. No. You know, I—I I was into sport, um, and I was into you know playing sport and sports injury and that type of thing, and working in a hospital never really did it for me. If I'm being honest, I still don't like hospitals to this day. Um, so yeah, so I, I think for a lot of people, they go into it and they probably have to do all of the other bits to get to the bit that they want. Does that make sense? So I yeah. think that, you know, most people want to end up on a kind of an MSK rotation or then going out and doing outpatient or then doing private practice um, because it's, it's, you know, it's dealing with those things that maybe excited people in the first part about getting involved. You know, may, you know maybe you're a failed sportsman or, <laughs> you know, that, that type of thing. How many people go into the world of physio or MSK treatment because maybe they wanted to be involved in sport and they couldn't be a player? Yeah, or they had some personal experience of having physiotherapy yeah, as a sports 100%. person as well. Yeah. So I think there, there was quite a few of those, uh, myself sort of included a little bit into that. But yeah, no, I think that's a good point. The other reason I think I found my physiotherapy training disappointing um, was because of my previous training that I did in sports science. So my first degree was in sports science, which gave me quite a lot of insight into, you know, exercise physiology and exercise prescription and all those sort of things, you know. And I was expecting that to be sort of enhanced and improved upon when I went into physiotherapy. And it wasn't at all. It was yeah, it was yeah. hardly hardly mentioned or hardly touched at all. And I found that quite disappointing and upsetting. I was expecting, you know, to go in and understand movement better, to understand all the variations and the nuance around exercise a bit more. And it was hardly touched on at all. You know, the, the grand sort of 
training that I think I can remember getting as a physio student was on how to use therabands and how to adjust crutches and walking frames to the correct height. You know, and, and those things are important. I get it, but you know, I was just expecting a bit more. I think. And then the last thing I think I was disappointed with, of course, was was all the um, over complexity with all the fucking touchy feely stuff, feeling things that I just. I was amazed that people were actually nodding along in the classrooms going, yeah, yeah, I've got this, I've got this. And I'm like, what the fuck? What Am I in fucking the twilight zone here? How can anybody start to tell me that they can feel fucking two millimetres of movement through Sarah's sacroiliac joint? And God bless Sarah, she's carrying a bit of extra timber and I can't fucking feel anything moving, yet every other idiot around there is nodding along saying they can. And I found that quite frustrating and disappointing yeah. as well. Well, I'm going to expand on that in just a moment because that reminds me of a disappointing point in course experience that I had um, where we did some kind of, I did some kind of cranial osteopathy type stuff as involved in a, in a, in, a, in another course. Uh, it was like a, like a sub-moduli type of thing. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think the problem with sports science, and that's the same as the problem of sports therapy, is that I think they're good courses that actually lack a vocation. Does that make mm. sense? So, so I think when you come out, you you know, when you, I think with sports therapy, you come out expecting there to be a lot more jobs than there are. I think you come out thinking that some of those jobs are going to be better than they are. Um, and I think the same is true with sports science, is that you probably qualify and you realise that there isn't much call for sports scientists. Absolutely. I thought, you know, getting a degree that had scientist in the title would mean yeah. that I'm on the I'm on the pathway to stardom and, and a job, you know, that's going to get me into laboratories and I'm going to be yeah, able yeah, to start yeah. to, you know, go into, you know, all these other scientific pursuits and avenues. And that there just never happened. Never happened. I ended up working as a personal trainer, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think that there, there's the you come out well qualified. You know, you are qualified to or you, you know, I'm, I mean, with sports science, I suppose it's the knowledge rather than the qualification per se. Yeah. Um, but you know, you come out certainly with sports therapy. You come out, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, you have the same uh, skill set really as as physio. I think in the world of MSK. Oh, no, you bet you couldn't palpate a sacroiliac joint on Sarah <laughs> under, underneath. Yeah. All right, not a bit that of extra body fat that she's carrying. God bless her. <laughs> But yeah, but then you, but but then it's the vocational part of that, you know. Where where is the actual, where is the actual job? And so, you know, I think that is probably the good thing about you know the the the, the physio, isn't it? Is that you know you uh, there there is very much a lot of vocation, even if the, you don't have, um, even if you didn't feel the experience was fantastic. But there yeah. you go. But it's interesting. So tell me a little bit about cranial sacral therapy then. Yeah. Well, no, I remember I went to the US actually many, many years ago to, to do something. Um, and it was kind of, I went down this weird kind of neurological thought process for a little bit because I kind of got into, I kind of got into the whole kind of functional biomechanics thing, um, which I actually look back and I think. Wasn't you know, that bad. That, I, I don't know if it was a disappointing experience, if I'm honest. I, 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 don't, I don't feel disappointed by it. Um, I don't I, I see it as part of my critical thinking journey where I actually realized it wasn't quite as truthful as it. It was a great story. <laughs> it was a wonderful story. Well, I think it gave, it gives foundations for thinking things slightly differently than yes. 
the standard way of thinking of prescribing exercises and doing movements. So, you know, that applied functional science aspect of it is another avenue. And then what I find, as you say, that then allows you to carry on that journey and that progress. Yeah. So, look, so then I suddenly started to say, well, actually, you know, movement can be a bit different. It doesn't have to be just this very, you know, motor control or, you know, this is like TVA times, isn't it? So this Mm. is something completely different. Um, And then that kind of led into the idea of motor control for me. So I'm starting to think about not just functional movement, but also maybe the brain's role in that. And that's actually what led me into pain science, I think, because suddenly I've become a bit brain orientated or brain, you know, centric, if you like. And so I had a little period where I was playing around with a bit of kind of, you know, more brain based stuff. Um, which I realise now it is, it was a load of complete waffle. But I kind of realised that, if that makes sense. I realised it quite quickly. And I think that pain science seemed like a more plausible version of that. But I do remember going on to a course and they were talking like about eye movement and they were talking about, you know, and, but there was part of this course that was looking at things like eye movement, et cetera. And then they started to talk about like palpating the sphenoid uh, um, you know, like cranial fucking sutras and all this stuff. And I just remember putting my hand on this person's head and they were talking about you can feel the brain waves. Um, you're like, <laughs> it, like And I do remember being there and thinking I'm a bit jet lagged. Maybe I just really can't feel this. I'm not feeling great. You need to practice, yeah. Yeah. And there was discussion of when you inhale and exhale, how the sphenoid opens and closes. And, and fuck me, I never felt it once. Um but I do, I, I must say, I do remember coming away from that part and being a little, um, a little disappointed because I just felt that maybe we went off way into the realms of, of woo-woo land with that. Um, but one of the things I'm going to say is that I think if you go to a course and you can turn around afterwards and say, actually, I don't see the plausibility, I think the value is in the critical thinking. And I think if you yeah, can go through... That's a great point, yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Sometimes, you know, I, I felt this. I got very pissed off and enraged that I'd wasted money and time on a bad course. And I can understand, you know, why people do. But you also can look at the other side of the coin and go, well, it's given me something. It's given me some ideas of, you know, what is not good and what things not to perhaps do or think and consider. So, yeah, as everything, you know, there's always another side to it. Yeah, so all of the things I've ever done, I think, leading up to today, I can. I don't think that I'm disappointed because they've led up to today. Does that make sense? I think you can look back and say there is a value. If you're happy with where you are right now, I think there's always a value in in the journey you get to get there. It just doesn't mean that everything has been a, a positive step in the sense that sometimes it's addition by subtraction. I've learned what not to use and what not to be worried about, and that's led me to today. So I'm not disappointed. I just wouldn't do it again. <laughs> well, so so there's no course that you'd think if I could go back, I wouldn't do that. I I do remember doing a taping course as well um, at quite a famous London clinic um, at, at Threadneedle Street, if that gives any clues. And actually, I don't think it was run by those guys, but I remember being there and doing like, I'm pretty sure it was like a, it, I think it was a, it, I don't think it was a kinesio tape. I think it was like a sports tape course. It wasn't a specific kinesio taping course but i just didn't really fucking get it and everything got a bit sticky and everywhere and i was just always a bit rubbish at applying it if i'm being honest but it was like one day and it was like 90 quid so um 
Did I ever use much tape? Not really. <laughs> no. Uh, the one that I would definitely want my money back if I could was one that I did when I was trying to learn acupuncture because I was told acupuncture is the, the way forward. But then I went on a more advanced acupuncture course where they were yeah. looking to try and find trigger points to start drawing needle in it right. rather than just using the acupuncture traditional Chinese way, but actually now starting going into dry needling, looking for trigger points, but with an ultrasound machine. So this was absolutely... <laughs> this was two days and and it was just if i look back at it it makes me laugh now because nobody had a fucking clue how to use an ultrasound machine it was just physiotherapists who and acupuncturists who got absolutely no idea of one end of an ultrasound machine for another looking at things on screens that they probably got no idea what they were looking at and sticking needles into things to say oh yeah look there you go there's a twitch response there's a trigger point and i'm just thinking we were just deluding ourselves we were just absolutely fucking about for two days doing nothing of any benefit or worthwhile uh, exertion or mental fortitude or anything along those lines well i just hope that th this is something that i do hope and i'm going to apologize to anyone who came on any of my early courses now i actually look back i think that you know compared to what i'm teaching today and compared to maybe my experience of teaching and the way that I organise the day and all these type of things. I do look back and wonder, um, you know, wonder if anyone may have been disappointed by oh, my early offerings. Maybe I they can, weren't the same standard. I don't know. I, I think the first courses I ever did was to a group of osteopaths. So I was the first reason I started teaching my course was a, a group of osteopaths asked me to come and present to them as a physiotherapist and show them what a physiotherapist does to an osteopath. And, and it, it was no, a lie, an absolute awful call. And I just feel sorry for those osteopaths because their expectations were just completely different from right. what I was actually offering them wow. on this course. So, yeah, I just, I just think, you know, there's a, there's probably about 50, because I did it twice There was until it put me off. There was 50 osteopaths, 25 on each of these courses out there that think, Adam Meekins, what the bloody hell is he all about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I suppose it is like anything. You have to start somewhere, don't you? You yeah. know, if you're teaching a course, um, you have to start somewhere. So, you know, I look back and maybe it was just my amazing personality that carried me through rather than <laughs> my teaching skills, my knowledge, my ability to do the job. You keep telling yourself that. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, at least there were, at least maybe I told a couple of good jokes. Um, I, I hope maybe I didn't, but I, you know, um, yeah, it is fascinating. But generally, my my perspective is I don't think that I'm deeply disappointed by anything because I feel that probably I hope that I've learned something from everything. Just that I didn't always learn what they were trying to teach me. Yeah, and sometimes you don't recognise it until a lot later on after the event rather than during the event as well. Yeah. yeah, so we'll go with the glasses more. The glasses half full rather than glasses half empty. That's a nice nice way to finish up on that question. So thanks for that, Bob. That was quite a controversial one, and hopefully we haven't got ourselves into any hot water with anybody well, too much. I don't think we named any names, did we? No, I don't think so. So we, we should be all right there. We'll find we'll find out when the solicitors let comes yeah, through the post box exactly. next. You week. insinuated, yes. <laughs> right, next question, second and last question. This one is coming from Zach Spargo. So Zach asked us a great question last time, and now we've got another one this time, and it's another great question from Zach. And this is quite a pertinent point for myself because this is something I try to do quite a fair bit, but he wants a bit more information on this. So Zach asks. 
How much do you talk to patients about specific elements of their diet? Uh, more and more recently, I feel there's a relationship between poor diet, uh, comma, high sugar, and metabolic health and inflammation causing elements of MSK pain. Do you feel confident in advising on diet on things like diabetes management for better MSK outcomes? So it's a great question, and I think it definitely uh, needs a few uh, answers as best as we can do. So I do talk about diet to most patients that I see for the first time. I try to do this SNAPS assessment, and I'm not going to say I do it 100% of the time because I don't because that will be lying, but I do do it the majority of the time. And part of the SNAPS assessment is asking about diet. Nutrition makes up the N on the acronym of SNAPS. So I do like to ask most patients about their food intake, and I normally ask a question along the line as, do you think you eat a, a well-balanced and healthy diet and sort of take the conversation from there based on the responses? And a lot of patients will turn to me and say, well, I, a little bit, but I think I could do better, you know, or some laugh at me and say, do I look like I eat a healthy diet? And then they say, uh, have some conversations around that by saying, well, what is it you're eating on a regular basis? Or what is it you think you should be doing to make your diet a little bit healthier? And uh, part of that is giving a bit of advice when patients ask for it, you know, um, but I'm not a nutritionist. So, again, we've got to be careful here about overstepping our boundaries. Um, and I think sometimes this is where, you know, working with nutritionists and dietitians can be beneficial. But again, in some situations for some practitioners, I know that's not always possible if you're in private practice and you're a bit isolated. But working in the NHS, I know we've got a dietitian service that we can refer into for people that do want a bit of help and advice on these sort of areas. And sometimes I do signpost them in there if they need a bit more of that. But I also think there's an element of just giving some simple, basic health advice. You know, I don't think you need to be a dietitian to help people understand their weight management and diet a bit better. Just a bit like you don't need to be a psychologist to help people understand how stress and anxiety can also contribute to their current situation. Yeah, and also you don't have to be a biomechanist to work with people's biomechanics. So, so you know, um, uh, I think that's important. So, I've got a problem. Oh, I know I've that. Uh, that's, yeah, it's okay. Don't yeah. Tell me that's, something I don't know. <laughs> but I do have an issue, right? So, my problem with this is if we take all of these things that can potentially, we could say you know, uh, uh, low-grade inflammation, we could talk about stress, we could talk about sleep, we could talk about um, diet and all of these other things. We could talk about exercise, couldn't we? And I suppose let's take your average person a bit stressed out, maybe doesn't eat as well as they should, they drink too much, they smoke a bit, don't get enough sleep. Where do we start? So well, that's, it's not down to us to where we start, is it? It's, it this is where the point of the the interview and the questions come in, and this is where our communication skills come in. It's based on what the patient or the person in front of us wants to feel like they may be able to address. Yeah. But but I've just listed a bunch of things that we see people with regularly, you yeah. know, and it's kind of what I mean by that is, you know, right, my problem is here. That you know, we talk about people going to see a physio and they come away with 10 more problems than they had before when they came in. 
Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, we want to sort out their food. We want to sort out their sleep. We want to no. sort out their stress. Well, this is my problem. How do I choose which one to go after? You don't. You don't. So, again, what you're doing is you're taking ownership and responsibility of this away from the patient. So I always say that, you know, the point of asking these questions, that's the reason I do my SNAPS assessment is for, for me to fact find. Now, yeah. if 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 I'm 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 gaining information from the patient about their diet, about their sleep, about their stress, That's about their alcohol intake, yeah, yeah. So all I'm doing is just fact finding. Now, if the patient wants to discuss things further, based on the questions that I've been asking, then that gives you some indication that person may be interested in talking about this topic yeah, and this subject. Yeah. So the patient decides where no, no. to start. So, you know, I, I, again, take the pressure off you as the clinician and thinking that you have to address all of these things because you don't. And there's no way that you've got the time or the training to be able to, as you say, to be able to focus on all these things together. But yeah. the patient may just want to do one. They may just want to stop smoking. You know, they've yeah. been thinking about it for the last five years. They know it's not good for them. Every fucker who smokes knows it's not good. They've been asked 25 times by every other healthcare professional about stopping smoking. And it may be just this one time they come to see you, they think, fuck this, all right, it's about time I do something about it. So if they've got that ability and they've got that desire, then they'll probably say that to you. And you go, right, great, let's move from there. Same with sleep, same with alcohol, same with diet. So let the patient decide. But I think one, yeah, I I understand what you're saying, right? But at the same point, I think we often people have multiple of these things going on. And so we have a lot of these things. And sometimes even the patient. You don't need to address any of them. Because sometimes no. the patient doesn't, and, and I think that's the point. You know, they're, they're, I, I ask these questions to a lot of patients, and they and the patients will give me the information, and we just move on. And they're yeah. just, I've collected the information. I know these things may be adverse in the background, but I'm going to do fuck all about them because the patient clearly doesn't want to. And they're, you know, how many patients go to see a physiotherapist expecting to be talked about their sleep and and to stop smoking and to eat better? That's not well, what people go to. Exactly. They go to get their acupuncture and their massage and their corrective yeah. exercises. So you have to be willing to, to meet people where they are. And if they're not willing to discuss these things or do these things, then there's no point. Yeah. And I, I think to some degree, that's kind of, kind of what I'm getting at is that we often have all of these things going on in, in, in our lives. And, you know, I probably drink a little too much and, no. What do you mean probably? <laughs> no, actually, I've been really good since <laughs> since I started working with you, actually, I've become a raging alcoholic. Um, <laughs> it's called Meekins-induced alcoholism. It's a very rare case. It's actually an N of one. Um, <laughs> well, I think there's a few others that probably yeah, got it okay, as well, mate. I don't enough. think you're on your own. It's still a fairly rare disease out there in the world. Um Meekins syndrome, isn't it? It's ex- excessive alcohol ingestion due to Meekins exposure. Um, but yeah, so look, I understand totally what you're saying that that we listen to a patient and then, you know, I suppose my my issue sometimes is with this perspective of this biopsychosocial view of pain and looking at all of these different factors that have got that that can affect people's pain. You know, it, it, that's sometimes the struggle that I have clinically is looking at it and saying, why would I address diet versus sleep or whatever? You know, and I know it's a patient decision and, and these type of things. Why would I bring it up? Why would I discuss it? Um, I just, do you know what I think sometimes is with some of these things is that what happens if I tell a patient, you know, your sleep, I think we could work on the sleep and they work on their sleep and guess what happens to their pain? Don't change. 
doesn't change. And you've gone through this whole behavior change process, you know, like, which is changing sleep is not easy. Otherwise, there wouldn't be this thing called insomnia. No. <laughs> right. And you go through this whole process and it's actually like, Ben, you've, you know, we've, you've helped, helped me sleep a lot better. But by the way, you know, my back, I, my back's still yeah, fucking sore. Can, can I still have a massage? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you, you know, now I've had to fucking, you know, turn my life upside down to get a bit of sleep. And that's great, but my back still hurts. So I think maybe the insecurity is probably mine. You know, I'm not, it's, it's, no, it's, I, I get what you're saying, mate. I really do. I, and, and I, you know, whenever I talk about this to uh, students and healthcare clinicians, I, I say the same thing. You know, this isn't easy. It's not, it's not something that is, you know, just something that makes, everything suddenly you know disappears suddenly you know correcting lifestyle behavior changes suddenly is the panacea for all things because it just simply isn't one because it's fucking hard to change behavior to any degree and we don't know which things need to change to mediate somebody's problems as well bloody well change them (laughs) exactly so you know so i get it but it still doesn't mean that we should just bury our heads in the sand and ignore it we, no, we need I, to we I, need to we need to we need to touch on it we need to ask yeah. a few questions and based on you know your confidence in certain areas and based on the patient's responses you know you may find you can start to have a little bit further discussion you may start to you can start to just get a patient to do something a little bit different than other just classical yeah. physio msk therapy type treatments yeah. No, look, I, I I suppose I'm having a nihilistic day when it comes Good to Good on you. I like I like a bit of nihilism, mate. Yeah. And I think it puts us in our place and makes us recognize I that just, this is not easy. I just read a lot, you know, about where people, you know, just you know, looking at or, or, Can I just give a perfect example of how something like a SNAPS assessment has made a, a fairly substantial impact on somebody with a chronic condition? So this is probably about a couple of months ago now. I saw a guy who had quite a bad frozen shoulder, quite well established, been going on for nearly two years, um, had tried numerous things. Nothing was really helping with his ongoing pain. This is two years down the line. And he was suffering a lot, you know, with it aching during the day, very restricted movements. But, you know, it wasn't too bad about the disability. It was the pain in his shoulder that was radiating down his arm consistently, but really bad at night. And he tried all sorts of things, you know, stretches and exercises and acupuncture and taping. And he said, you know, they're all a waste of time, not doing anything for me. He says, "Um, so I'm coming to you to see whether I need um, any, because I was working in my ESP role, any surgical interventions. And we went through the options because that was his main priority. He wanted to discuss what the surgical surgical options could be. So we did all that and uh, everything. And then at the end, I was saying, you know, well, you know, other things also around surgery is not necessary or essential, but there's other things you may also want to look at that could also help modulate pain. And we talked about the SNAPS assessment I'd already asked him. And one of the things was he said his physical activity had, had taken a real nosedive. And one of the things he really liked, used to like doing was walking, but it stopped walking because his shoulder was sore. And I said, why have you stopped walking your shoulder sore? He said, just, it just pisses me off that it hurts when I'm walking. And I said, well, have you thought about just trying to gradually increase it back up again? If it's something you, you like doing and you want to get back into doing it. And he hadn't. He was like, really? What, walking's going to help my frozen shoulder? I said, I don't know. It might do. And I said, you know, have you thought about just increasing a little bit of extra physical activity? So we get we tried to get him to focus on his step count and it was just increasing a little bit each week. And he comes back saying that his shoulder starts to feel better. Now, whether that's got anything to fucking do with the increase in walking, I've got no idea. 
But, you know, whether it was just the fact that I listened to him probably a bit more than other healthcare clinicians or the fact that I'd gone through that there's surgical options that he could try for his frozen shoulder as well. Yeah. It could have been any of these things that started to make his oh, shoulder yeah. feel better. Yeah. But it was something that, you know, just shows that sometimes asking somebody to do something as simple as walking a bit more might help other situations. Yes. And kudos to, to, to that, uh, you know. What I probably would add, though, and, I, and you're not going to like me, is that that was probably that. quite a simple... Yeah, you know that already. That was probably quite a simple change to implement. I think when we get into some other things like smoking, um, yeah. like some diet stuff. So, you, you know, I'm not trying to be horrible, horrible about that situation, but, you know, I, I do sometimes... And that's my issue, is sometimes behaviour change around things like diet and... Um, you know, smoking and and sleep and these type of things are so bloody difficult uh, for people that implementing them and not getting a lot of a return um, is the juice worth the squeeze is the question. Um, And I just don't know. But I think something as simple as walking for for basic cardiovascular health or, and that's maybe why movement can be so wonderful because actually sometimes it's quite easy to add in a little bit of walking or a few squats or a few press-ups. You know, when we start to get into things like stress, work stress, diet, um, sleep, and these type of things, I think sometimes they're more complex behavioural interventions. And that's always the thought in the back of my mind. Am I giving this another person another problem that they need to worry about? And actually, is the juice worth the squeeze when it actually comes to treating it? Am I going to get the return? Does that make some sense? But It does, mate. And I like that saying. I'm going to nick that one. Yeah. But going back to, um, going back, was it Zach who asked the question? Was it that was his name? Zach. 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 Yes. So I've forgotten because we were waffling so much. So going back to Zach's question, actually, if you think about diet, I do think diet is probably somewhere where the juice could be worth the squeeze you know maybe adding in a little bit more fruit and vegetables maybe adding in a bit less processed food i actually think that isn't the hardest thing to change i do think sleep's a hard thing to change i do think smoking's a hard thing to change and i think stress especially if you can't control it because it's external i think that's a really hard thing to change so if we go full circle i think actually when zach talks about um things like diet, it could actually be quite a low-hanging fruit, couldn't it? Um, yeah, I think it's one of the easier ones. I still don't yeah. think it's easy, but no, I do no, think I do think helping yeah, yeah. I, I do think helping people, you know, understand how people put on weight and how they yeah. may be able to want to lose weight, you know, giving people that simple information about calories, monitoring it a little bit, getting yeah, them perhaps to develop yeah, getting them to develop some strategies, you know, and a routine where they start to, you know, monitor what they're eating a bit more. All these things, you know, that help improve discipline and they get them into a routine of monitoring stuff could help in other areas as well. It could just be a fucking great big distraction away from yeah, the primary issue. Yeah. yeah, but here's the problem. And this is this is something I think we do a lot. We say, this is bad for you. You need to stop, right? And right. then we leave it. So it's like, right, smoking. Smoking's not good for your shoulder pain. We know that. There's research. Yeah. And then we kind of leave it at that. Yeah. How how, how can I stop smoking? You know, that, help, help me. And I know I get that. When we talk about diet and saying to people, you know, you need to lose weight, great. Yeah, yeah. Help me out to do that. How's the there best way to no, do it? Give me some strategies. Give me some support yes. and guidance to be able to do that. Yeah. There is no point in highlighting the problem 
if you are not going to follow through and do anything about it. You might as well keep your mouth shut because it's the same way people come in and they say, oh, your left shoulder is depressed and your right shoulder is elevated and your spine is, you know, and you've given them this problem. It's a structural thing that you can't change anyway. Yeah. And and so they've got this problem, but there's no real solution. And I sometimes think that that's the problem with some of the more lifestyle, holistic BPS interventions is we highlight that this could be a problem, but we never give people any kind of support or framework to change that. So, you know, what's the point in even highlighting it? It's exactly the same as highlighting those 35 postural problems that are causing your back pain. No, I agree, mate. And uh, I think that's a nice way to to wrap it up. Don't add more problems to people's problems that they've already got coming in to see you with. Yeah, Yeah, especially when we've criticised that biomechanically. Yeah. And then people go and do the same thing biopsychosocially. Bit of a dirty word now, isn't it, in your terms, mate, biopsychosocial? Well, no, biopsychosocial is about caring for people. It's this whole biopsychosocial pain model that's, uh, that's the dirty word these days. Oh, and I do, I, I feel, you know, there's a small uh, sprinkling of pride that I've managed to, uh, to, to, to create that dirt. <laughs> but you know why, don't you? Because all the uh, biomechanical advocates are now seeing somebody criticising the biopsychosocial model and they're like, oh, my new friend, you're my new friend. <laughs> Um, uh, you yeah, don't I'm like that model get... either I don't like that model either because I'm a biomechanist I like, I'm a biomedicalist and I don't like the biopsychosocial approach so Ben you're my new friend yeah well I'm not really their friend by the way just to point that out but um, yeah but it's certainly an interesting and, and it's certainly we're creating a little bit of debate I just think there was a little time you know maybe five or six years ago where you know we were going to fix everyone by explaining pain and sorting out their stress And maybe now we realise it's a bit of a bigger job than that. Um, And it just comes back to what me and you talk about quite regularly, I think, which is just working with people and just being, you know, listening and being careful and kind and supportive, Um, you know, and just sometimes I think we've approached that and applied that in just the same way we did the biomedical model. And guess what? It's had exactly the same fucking result. Good stuff. Right. I think that's it for this Thoughtful Thursday on uh, the BCP, our regular monthly debate and discussion around various different things. Hope that's been useful to the BCP members and to those of you listening on the podcast as well. Remember, if you're not a BCP member and you are listening to this on the podcast and you want to come and join us, please do. The more the merrier. And uh, you'll be able to get access not only to the videos of our Thoughtful Thursdays, but also all the other videos and all the other topics that we have done over the years. And it's been three years now. We forgot to celebrate our third birthday, didn't we? (laughs) Didn't we? (laughs) I I just suddenly realised it was, I think we started the 1st of February 2020 was our start date. And now, look, yeah, and it just, I was suddenly like, oh, my God, we're, like, in the middle of February and we forgot our birthday. It's a good thing that no one got offended, like, you know, yeah. it's a good thing I didn't forget, like, my son's birthday. <laughs> exactly. Glad I didn't throw the rattle out of the pram and say, why didn't you buy me anything nice and free? Well, you bloody well forgot person. as well, so I'm not having right. that. I did forget. But I think you know, the reason we forgot is because we're so bloody busy doing work for the BCP. We're constantly <laughs> recording and uploading and reading and researching, so... Every month, as I say, we we publish a new topic and say each week we break that down into various different subsections to make it uh, easier uh, for you to understand and learn all about it. And as I say, it does require a a huge amount of work and effort from me and Ben. 
And uh, as I say, we're offering this to you, as I say, as a subscription service. So you can come and join us and you can leave whenever you want. No contracts, no commitments. And uh, there's probably getting close to well over 500 videos on there now on various different topics on uh, various different areas in the upper limb, lower limb and the spinal area. So say if you're not a member, come and join us sooner rather than later. If you're not a member, you are crazy. <laughs> you are missing out. You are. Right. Okay. Well, until next month, take care of yourselves and each other until we see you next time on another Thoughtful Thursday. Peace out. Much love. Thank you for listening to the BCP podcast. If you would like to check out the BCP, please go to www.betterclinicianproject.com. There we have literally hundreds of videos on clinical topics, exercise examples for rehabilitation and research reviews alongside features such as Thoughtful Thursday. And please tune in again.